0: Thank you for listening to the Alan Wright Sermons Podcast. I'm his son, Matthew, and we have been splitting up the sermons every other week at our house church that my wife and I host on our farm. If you're interested in joining us, check out WrightFarmHouseChurch.com. Enjoy today's lesson. So one of the many ways, um, one, one of the ways that many of us were taught to read the Bible growing up. Especially with Old Testament stories like this in the Bible, was that you would you would read about a certain person and how they lived and how they acted, and, and then the lesson was that the lesson was that we were supposed to be more like them. Uh, for instance, you need to be you need to be a better you need to be a better leader like Moses, or you need to be more courageous like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego or maybe you need to be more faithful like Daniel or be a better leader like like Nehemiah and throughout this lesson I'm going to have these these slides with pictures of the children's stories pictures that we would that we would see in our in our books um and so that those were the lessons that we learned in our in our children's stories, that we needed to be more like these, these heroes. And, and there are problems with that way of teaching about the lives of Old Testament characters because making them into perfect heroes is it's superficial at best. And it, it never really teaches us the lessons of what may lie underneath when it comes to their struggles. Uh, we see all of these heroes in the children's version of the lessons, but which part of them? Which part of them was I supposed to be like? Right? Was I supposed to be like the murderer or the killer that that Moses was? Or was I supposed to be impatient with God like Moses was? Was I supposed to be the fighter and the brawler that Nehemiah was? Um, and then there's this guy I remember named Samson, and, and if I'm supposed to imitate his life. It might be hard to figure out which part to imitate, right? There's this tension in the people in the Bible that shows that they are far from perfect. They are not like polished characters in a bedtime story or in a church class, in a children's church class. They are real people with all sorts of flaws and all sorts of baggage. They weren't perfect, just like I'm not perfect. And and not only could I not live up to the ideals that we were taught about them uh, on the surface, that we were taught about them on the surface and the way that they lived and acted, but I wasn't sure that I really wanted to live up to all parts of their lives. I wasn't sure I wanted to I I wasn't sure that I was supposed to imitate all of that. Somewhere along the line in our lives, we find that the hero of the Bible are not the individuals found in the pages of the Bible. The only hero of the Bible is God. We're going to see that today in this lesson in 2 Samuel chapter 22 and 23. And we're coming to, uh, so like I said, we're coming near to the end of this series in the life of David and and the end of the book of 2 Samuel. And, And the way that this story ends, it emphasizes the truth that God is the hero. And there's kind of surpri- a surprising twist at the end of chapter 23, which we'll, we'll get to. But we, let's start back at the, at the beginning of chapter 22, and it starts in the first verse this way. And David spoke to the Lord the words of this song on the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul and then it launches into a song or into a psalm more specifically into a psalm and i say that because if you turn to psalm chapter 18 it is almost the exact same text psalm 18 and this this psalm in chapter 22 of second samuel are almost identical the variations are very minor and it's interesting because that means that first Samuel and second Samuel, which we we should think of as one story put together into two parts, which is correct. This book begins with Hannah's psalm or, or prayer or her song in first Samuel chapter two, and it ends with this song by David in second Samuel chapter 22. Hannah's song praises God after she dedicates Samuel. Samuel to, the, to service, and, and David's song praises God at the end of the story, and they frame the narrative. They frame the narrative of the story kind of like bookends, right? These songs, they frame the narrative in the theology of, of this book, of these books in a form of praise. But there's a deeper and really a more resonant meaning to the theological point that the author is trying to make here and that is that God is the one that brackets our life. God bracketed this whole story. God is at the front and God is at the back. Everything that happened in between is due to God's grace and God working things out in accordance with his will. Uh First and 2 Samuel are bracketed by this truth. And, and God is a God of, uh, and this story is a God of power, of glory, of wisdom, of goodness, and, and strength. This story framing here, it, it also teaches us that David's story was part of a bigger story, right? It's part of we, we, what we call the big God story, not only of what God is doing here in Israel, but also in what he's doing in the entire world. And and that same truth applies to our lives. We don't always see it in any given situation, but our life isn't about our life. It's not about our successes or our failures. It's not about our needs or our wants. We need to see our life as part of the bigger story that God is writing. It's only then that we find meaning and purpose and hope and enjoyment when we realize that we're a small part of God's big story. So back in chapter 22 in this psalm, we find there are two keywords that we see repeated. One is that God is a rock, and the other is that God saves, or sometimes it says God delivers. Those two words are trying to show us that God has been David's unyielding strength. And it is God who has rescued him and delivered him on numerous occasions. And none of that is due to David's power or David's wisdom or David's strength. It was God who was at work. Uh, sometimes in the story, it's overt, it's overtly stated, and sometimes behind the scenes. But God was using David to fulfill his greater purposes. So there's an interesting uh, section down in verses 21 to 25 of this psalm. Let's read it, and, and think with me as we read it, that after all we've learned through this series, that David is the author of these words, okay? Okay. The Lord, starting in verse 21, The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands. He rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his rules were before me, and from his statutes I did not turn aside. I was blameless before him, and I kept myself from guilt. And the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to my cleanness in his sight. Does that seem a little strange to you? It seems a little strange to me, doesn't it? How in the world does David have the gall to say that he has cleanness before God? That he's blameless before him and that he has kept himself from sin. There's been several instances where that is blatantly untrue. The Bathsheba and Uriah incident, incident is just one example, right? It, it just seems silly to say that somehow David is perfect, right? So maybe that's not what this is saying. Uh, maybe it's not that David is perfectly blameless and without sin. So let's dig. Let's dig a little bit further into this, okay? In Exodus chapter 34, God declares his name. Starting in verse 5, it says, The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. God declares his name, the Lord, here. And part of his name is that he is a God who forgives sin. The Old Testament never set it up that we were supposed to be perfect before God, and David isn't claiming to be perfect here in 2 Samuel. David is well aware of his sin, and so the author of the book, the books of Samuel, and so is the author of the books, books of Samuel, what David is saying is that I've lived inside the promises of God. That... That God is is a faithful, forgiving God, and if, if we will turn from our sin and put our hope and faith in Him, cast ourselves on the mercy and grace of God, that we will find that He forgives and He cleanses us of our sin. David is leaning on the promise of the name and character of God expressed in Exodus chapter 34. David is blameless before God, not because anything David did or did not do. He is blameless before God solely because of the character of God alone. David is not saying he is blameless as if he is without sin. He is saying that he is blameless in the sense that he has lived inside the promises of God. He has confessed his sins to God and depended on God for his righteousness. In Acts chapter 24, Paul is defending himself in front of Governor Felix. And he states in verse 16, So I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and man. And I think what Paul says here is what David is also saying, that his conscience is clear, not because he is sinless, but because God is righteous and has fulfilled his promise in and through his name. David has acknowledged his sin, confessed his sin, repented of his sin, asked God to change him and to make him into the man and into the, into the king and the father and the husband that he wants him to be. In the next section of this psalm, David refers to all of his military victories. But remember the key words in this chapter are rock and deliver, or saves. God is David's rock. God is his deliverer. So even as he recounts all these military victories, there's this sense that God is the one who provided for him. God is the one who delivered him, and God is the one who gave him strength. God is the one who gave him wisdom. Apart from God, David wouldn't have won any of these, any of these battles. Remember all the way back when David fought Goliath? Remember that? When we, when we talked about that? He said to Goliath, this battle belongs to who? The Lord. This battle belongs to the Lord. Now, at the end of his life here, as he thinks, as he, as he thinks about all that God has done in and through him, he says that God is the one that fought all these battles. God is it. God is the one who delivered me. God is the one who gave me victory. It's a way to praise God, to say that this life I lived is not just about my successes or my accomplishments or even my failures, but God was in it all. So now we come to the interesting twist in chapter 23. He lists all the mighty men of David. These are the men who fought with David. Uh, they were on David's side when everyone was against him, when Saul was chasing him. These are the guys that took care of David and who fought next to him in battle. And as you read through the list of some of these people in chapter th- 23, we get some explanation of about their life or what they did or what they were known for. But 30 of the names at the end are listed without any further comment, um, or, or any kind of explanation. But the last name in the list is Uriah the Hittite. Uriah, the husband of Bathsheba, the very last name in the list. Uriah, the man David sent to the front line in order to be killed. Uriah the Hittite is listed at the bookend of David's list of a total of 37 mighty men. He was one of the guys who sacrificed his life on behalf of David, and David sinned against Uriah in a horrible way. And in that one name, in that one name, that whole story comes back to us, and we can say, Yes, David, you understood who God was, and you, you obeyed God, you under, you, but you are a flawed, sinful, and broken person. You sinned against Bathsheba and you sinned against one of your mighty men in a horrible way. But I want you to think about this carefully with me. We started off this lesson by saying that when we were children, we learned superficially that these characters in the Old Testament are heroes who we need to be like. And then as our spiritual maturity developed, we learned that God is the only true hero in the story. And when it comes to David here at the end of At the end of this chapter, in chapter 23, I get the sense that there's hope for me because I could never even be like David. I can never measure up to his ideal standard of what a Christian is supposed to be like. I'm a flawed person. The same heart here that sees really good things come out of it also, unfortunately, sees a lot of sinful things come out of it. So I can identify with David because I, too, am a mixture of good and and not so good. David listing Uriah as one of his heroes, one of his mighty men, reminds me that I can't read this story with the idea that I'm supposed to be like David. Instead, I want to know the God who used a broken man like David I want to know a God who showed mercy and grace to David. I want to know that God of love and power and wisdom and hope. Hope. Reading the name of Uriah the Hittite drives me right back to the cross to say, have mercy on me, Jesus. It was amazing that God used a sinful person like David. And it is amazing that Jesus uses a sinful person like me. I hope that you see how amazing it is that Jesus uses a sinful person like you, and that we can wake up every day. Colleen sent me this text this week. We can wake up every day, and we can say, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The story of David should drive us to nowhere else but the cross and to the God of mercy and to the God of grace and to, the, and to our God of forgiveness. Thank you for listening to the Allen Wright Sermons podcast. We hope you'll join us next time. God bless you and have a wonderful week.